Welcome to the New Chicago Way podcast. In this session, we're going to explore the unknown concept of city charters. I say unknown because Chicago is one of two of the top 15 cities in the United States that does not have a voter-approved city constitution, otherwise known as a charter. I wouldn't want any of us to confuse this with the concept of charter schools, which is a completely different concept. But over the decades, uh, the past 120 years, most major cities have developed a city charter that is approved by voters, and the state constitutions where those cities lie provide for a charter creation and revision process. These charters are an outgrowth of the concept of home rule, and they are designed so that the city can create all of the rules and address all of the structural issues that would relate to any aspect of city government. It could be finances, it could be city council rules, it could be policing, schools, every aspect of city government could be covered by the city charter and often is in major cities. So to help us understand the charters, in this podcast we will be interviewing Eric Lane, who was the executive director of the 1989 New York City Charter Revision. We will also interview Rafe Sonnenschein, the executive director of the 1999 Los Angeles Charter Revision. I hope you enjoy this episode. Eric Lane and Rafe Sonnenschein, welcome to the new Chicago Way podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Our ple- my pleasure as well. Eric, I'm going to start with a really tough question for you, and this is very important for the folks here in Chicago. What is a city charter? That is a very good question, but I would say that basically it's a document that lays out the institutions and processes of government, although there's often many other provisions in a city charter. But at least any city charter is going to have the institutions and processes of governance. Rafe, could you tell me what a city charter is not? A city charter is not a set of policies that the city has decided to pursue at a particular time. And to go along with what Eric is saying and to amplify, it's a constitution. And as a constitution, it's supposed to lay out the ground rules for how power is exercised in the, in the city. And it's a, creating a charter, therefore, is a real exercise in how you think the system should be structured. And Rafe, we were talking a little bit before before the podcast. Uh, Eric obviously was the executive director of the New York City Charter Revision Commission, and that was ratified in 1989 in Los Angeles. Ratification was about it was almost exactly a decade later. Um, we didn't. We talked with you both separately for the book. We didn't know that you two were acquainted. What did you learn from the process that New York City went through that informed uh, how you approached charter revision in Los Angeles? Well, the New York Charter Reform was really a godsend for us because it was one of the only charter reforms I've ever seen that not only did a local charter, but wrote about it. 
uh, and produced an edited volume. Um, Eric uh, was involved in some articles about it that were published. It was really high-quality work. And I, as soon as I got my job, since I was actually new to charter reform, I was just a political scientist studying race and ethnicity in L.A. and, and, and got this opportunity, I needed to get up to speed. It also helped us create the system of neighborhood councils in the charter because we studied very closely the history of community boards in New York City. Um, so in general, we, we didn't come up with some of the same conclusions because two very different cities, but we just learned a ton. And I wrote to Eric and got, a, got some very good advice from him during the time to be as being an executive director. And Eric, can you enlighten us, uh, enlighten the listenership just a bit? Um, what caused the revision of the New York City Charter? Well, the New York City Charter was caused or at least uh, initiated as a result of one of the main institutions of governance named the Board of Estimate being declared uh, unconstitutional under the one-person, one-vote doctrine by the Supreme Court of the United States. So we were left basically without any uh, constitutional form of government. And just in terms of civic engagement, the one thing we notice in Chicago is that, well, people aren't really engaged in talking or thinking about governance structure because there's not really a vocabulary because we don't have that charter. And I'm curious, as two men who are both intimately involved in, you know, not just meetings around, hey, what should, uh, you know, our city legislature be doing? What should our executive be doing? Communicating that to the public and getting feedback and then ultimately uh, in both cases, you know, voters ratifying that charter. Can you talk, uh, Rafe, maybe you can go first. What, what was that like? What, what do you think is important about the civic engagement aspect of charter revision? What, what does a charter do for that part of civic life? Well, you know, I would add something because compared to New York City, L.A. at that time certainly had a very disengaged political environment, um, not kind of hyper-political as New York it has been. I grew up on the East Coast and know it very well. So getting people interested, we actually came up with a few things. One is when we talked to people about the charter, they went immediately to sleep. But <laughs> when we talked about government and what government means to you and what you think about government, it was a way in. And people would say something like, those damn potholes, we've got to do something about the potholes. And we said, well, who do you think makes that decision? Uh, is there a better way that could be done? Is there a better? And then people started to get interested in the charter. I had a tougher case, though, because my daughter's second grade class, uh, the dads and moms would come in to talk about their jobs, and I had to be the executive director of the charter commission, and I was desperate. So I just turned to the teacher and said, who makes the rules in the classroom? And they all said, the teacher. And I said, why don't you make the rules today? Let's do a charter. And they just went crazy. They, they, it was ice cream all day. Um, but then they had to do some responsibilities. They wrote up a charter, and I showed them a picture of the constitutional constitution being signed by the founders, and they all came up and very solemnly signed the charter, and they never forgot it. But it all had to be reframed as something that could affect your daily life, not a boring civics lesson. So mine is um, a slightly different uh, story because the – uh, declaration of the unconstitutionality of the government of the Board of Estimate and a general dismay over the way government was working and a bunch of racial tension or some serious racial tension in the city 
uh, generated real coverage of what we were doing from the get-go. In fact, the New York Times assigned um, two reporters to cover us every day. And so there was, and we also, by the way, had worked out a deal with the then Mayor Koch, who was convinced that he had to give us as much of a budget for the reform as basically we asked for. And so we, uh, from the get-go, built a um, a large communication staff and did all kinds of things in the beginning. We had uh, posters and games and um, weekly newsletters filled with cartoons and stuff uh, addressing the issue of the charter change in the same way Rafe was talking about, but we had a lot of resources with which uh, to do that. And then we and, and we further were able, you know, we had something like 140 public meetings uh, with people who got to talk and all the commissioners came. I think that the, um, I think that the, uh, the pall of an unconstitutional government over our work really generated more interest than, for example, a charter commission that's now in play in New York is barely getting any um, notice at all. And I'd like to really say good. there were a couple of things in L.A. that were like that. Uh, one was we had a mayor <clears throat> who was intensely determined to expand right. the power of the mayor, Richard Reardon. And since the 1925 charter, there had been pressure to enhance the role of the mayor, but he really took it, kicked it up to the next level and put a lot into this. At the same time, we had a secession movement in the San Fernando Valley, which would have taken 40% of the city's population out of the city. It basically would have you know, basically cut the city in half. And the charter became seen as a way to improve governance and make it more responsive to head off secession. So you had that. And then thirdly, there was such conflict between the mayor and city council over the charter that each one set up their own commission. I was the executive director of the city council's commission, and the mayor went out and created his own elected commission, and we both got equal funding from the city operated uh, separately for two years, fighting all the time, and then agreed at the end in a very dramatic process on a single charter. So the drama of two commissions, the mayor and right. council fighting, and valley secession actually did get us quite a bit of uh, media attention and coverage and, and public interest. Gentlemen, it's Ed here, and thank you again for joining us. Uh, the Both stories of... Uh, charter revision in both New York and in Los Angeles are just fascinating and gripping stories, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, I'd like to ask a series of questions. I'll package them, and then uh, each of you can speak to it. And uh, the first is, how, how is charter creation and revision provided for in either state law or the state constitution? How long have those provisions been on the books? And in a city like Chicago, where we don't have any provision like that in our state constitution, can we cobble together something that would resemble a state charter here? You mean a city charter? I, I'm, yes, a city charter. Thank you for that correction. So, Eric, let's start with you. <clears throat> Ours is a product of state law, which has been in the state law for probably over a hundred years, probably right around the time when they put New York City together in 1898. I think they added a law that that allowed for 
and under certain conditions, the establishment of a charter revision commission. And so that's a state law. Uh, there are other ways to do it through petitioning and stuff that are under the charter, but the main way that serious efforts are made are through the uh, state law creation of a commission. And so, you know, whether you can cobble, is there, and I don't, I, it's hard to answer your second part of your question, but one thing would be to look at, is there anything that prohibits you from doing it would be the question I would be asking, not whether how you can do it. In other words, is there anything in the charter, in the state constitution or in, your municipal home rule laws or whatever the equivalent statutes are in Illinois that stop you from creating a charter. So, Rafe, uh, uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, California? Yeah, and I do want to bolster what Eric just said. That was the first thing that got into my mind is you don't necessarily have to have permission. You have to have the ability, um, which is, you know, in other words, if you're not prohibited. But in California... This all goes back to 1879. In 1875, Missouri became the first state to grant any home rule authority to its local government. States used to just dominate local governments and to the great distress of, of localities. So the state constitution in 1879, four years after Missouri, for the first time created home rule. And literally 10 years later, Los Angeles City had its first charter. So L.A. was one of the very, very first to jump on that. And then over the years in 1879 and later on, there were changes to the charter, to the constitution to further empower cities um, to create charters. And eventually they created the doctrine of municipal affairs that said that a city charter city can do anything, even if it's inconsistent with state law, as long as it is something that's a municipal affair and not a matter of general state interest. So the Constitution first enabled it, and cities had to really jump at it, which uh, about a quarter of California cities are now charter cities. So we didn't. New York doesn't have that one provision that was very interesting that Rafe just mentioned about, um, uh, you know, in New York, a charter can be um, um, enacted by the state government for the city, hmm. and the city can be limited wow. in what it does by in other words there's these there's a number of provisions about what the state can do with respect to its general laws but what they what it's come down to has been they'll do a general law that'll say in cities over a million et cetera yeah. et cetera and, and they'll just you know they can they can preempt a lot of your activity under these supposed general laws because the um, New York State Court of Appeals our highest court has given them far more authority than I'm sure the constitutional framers intended now, the California legislature still does exactly what Eric said. They all pass a law applying to cities over, over a million. Oh, okay. However, what they can't do under the California Constitution is the kind of imposing of commissions on L.A. government the way New York state government has been able to do. So I think that New York state government has a stronger, harsher hand on the city of New York than the state government has on the city of Los Angeles. Would, they, would you agree with that, Eric? Does that pretty much so? I mean, you know, there there are periods of time where they let have more freedom, and there's a lot of politics involved in that. But as a legal matter, yes, I would agree. Yeah, so, so it's Eric, explicitly prohibited in the California Constitution to establish a kind of private commission to take over functions of the city, because uh, they used to do that before home rule. There is the question, gentlemen, though, about uh, the 
uh, authority or legitimacy of creating a charter uh, revision commission. Uh, in the case of New York's 1989 charter revision, mm -hmm. that was initiated by the mayor? Yes, under state law. Yes, under state law. So uh, even though there could be some conflict between the state and the city, uh, that was a very orderly process. Orderly in the sense that the state didn't intrude? <clears throat> yes, it was mm -hmm. not orderly, but it was certainly orderly <laughs> with, with respect to the fact that the state stayed out of the way of this. Yes. I mean, some of the state legislators weighed in and they testified and occasionally the governor would say something. But for the most part, nobody bothered us from the state. On the other hand, Rafe, in Los Angeles, uh, there was uh, ambiguity. And so two competing charter commissions were created. That had nothing to do with the state, though, and it's very funny. It's exactly the same thing. It was disorderly, but not because of the state. The disorder was created by the state in enabling secession to move forward. So the state stuck its nose in a couple of times to ease the path for secession, which the city greatly resented. But the real problem was you could set up – there are different vehicles for setting up commissions. The city council can pass an ordinance, which they did. The mayor signed which created the appointed commission that I served. But there's also a provision to have a direct elected commission, and the mayor put that on the ballot as a ballot measure, which the voters approve. So the voters can create a charter commission, and the city officials can create a charter commission. We have the same thing. In other words, just this last last year there was a mayoral charter commission, and this year there's a council-inspired ah. charter commission in New York. Uh, just we didn't have that in 89 or in 88 when we were working on these commissions, but you can do it. Every, I think all the states that have these kind of municipal home rule laws which allow charter creation have the possibility of competing charter commissions. And there's a bunch of rules with respect to, you know, them as well. So, And there's citizen ones you could have if you have enough votes or petitions and stuff like that. So there's a lot of that um, different potential for competing processes and don't states. forget that you can propose a charter amendment without a charter commission um and in oh, fact yeah. you don't even need to have a commission um you could i presume you could put a series of ballot chain uh, of charter changes on the ballot without going through anybody as long as you have enough signatures and the la charter has been amended hundreds of times uh, that's, a, a that's a California thing, not a New York thing. Oh, that's not a New York thing. New okay. York has, is very chary about the use of uh, uh, petitions, and we have no tradition and initiative and referendum. We have no tradition for it, and we tend not to like it. Yeah, <laughs> we love it. I mean, there are Speaking some ways. tradition, I mean, Illinois. <laughs> it's one of the things about... that scares me about moving to California. <laughs> it seems so wild. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we learn, we learn how to live with it, and we learn how to vote down the crazy ones most of the time. Yeah, no, I know, yeah. I know. That's very, so that's actually, you know, one of the things I want to talk about later, which is sort of this idea, especially in Illinois, that Chicago leaders and state leaders as well are especially loath to allow voting on anything <laughs> by the public, much less mm -hmm. something like a city charter. Um, Rafe, you mentioned something very interesting about Mayor Reardon in, in, in Los Angeles, which was this, um, something we're quite familiar with in Chicago, the, uh, the urge or ambition of the mayor to expand his role and his power uh, in city governance. 
And I'm curious in charter revision, how did you approach that question of what is the what is the proper role of the executive? What should his scope of power be? Can you walk me through kind of the most important provisions you think in the LA City Charter to prevent that kind of ambition? Well, part of the context is that the LA mayor has never had the authority that the mayor of New York and Chicago have. So there was general agreement from good government people that the mayor is a, was a little too hamstrung in LA city government. Now, Mayor Reardon had a much, much more expansive view of that than uh, than to seemed reasonable to a lot of people. And in effect, the two commissions divided over the authority of the mayor. The mayor wanted to be able to fire department heads unilaterally without um, any recourse to the city council. Now, I know in New York and Chicago that would be a no-brainer, but not, not in really California. And in the federal now. government, too. And in the federal yeah. government. And the mayor, Reardon, used to point that out to everybody. But their part of the argument was people, no offense, man, Eric, didn't want to be New York and <laughs> and the or Chicago. In fact, one of the main arguments against Reardon's arguments was <clears throat> that California was a reform state not a party organization state, and in the local rhetoric, not a machine state, and didn't want the mayor to be a boss. So when you argued against Reardon, you would argue from the very standpoint of the cities that we're talking about right here in New York and Chicago. Now, what the mayor wanted uh, was, was blocked by the appointed commission, which was my commission, but we reached a compromise that became the key to a unified charter, which is Everybody agreed to make it more difficult <clears throat> for the city council to block the mayor's removal of general managers of departments, and that eventually, even over the mayor's opposition, <clears throat> who didn't want that agreement, we did reach an agreement with the elected commission and, and got a single charter on the ballot. Everybody agreed we had to have neighborhood councils in some form, though, because of the threat from secession. So that eventually was a rather easier compromise to reach the hardest one to reach because we needed the mayor to campaign for the charter so we had to he had to not get everything he wanted but he had to get enough to feel uh good about it and to his credit even though he didn't get everything he wanted he turned around and basically funded the campaign for the unified charter led the campaign and i don't think it would have passed without his leadership <laughs> You know, one of the things that Rafe just refers to, I think, is a very important thing for people to understand about a charter um, reform process, and that is that it is a political act in the end. People mm -hmm. have to vote for it almost anywhere. Right. So when he's saying that he needed the mayor's uh, support, uh, we spent a lot of time, for example, getting the New York Times' support, and we needed what one borough president's support. So I don't think you should lose track of the politics of effectively accomplishing the goal. It's not just sitting around and dreaming up the best kind of government you think you can get. You have to get it approved. In our case in New York, not only do we have to get it approved by the um, referendum, but in those days, and I don't know what Rafe's experience with this was, but in those days the uh, federal government under um, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which New York was a covered jurisdiction, they felt that they had the right to look at everything we did. And I actually spent three months in Washington wow. meeting with the Justice Department lawyers uh, two or three times a day, uh, two or three times a week um, to, you know, 
make sure that there is no diminution of uh, opportunities for minorities to participate in the political process, which in those days meant they were really scrutinizing us. So it was quite the experience, both um, both the the ideal aspect of it, trying to create a good government, but keeping your eye on the politics and the law of relating to it was fantastic. Gentlemen. Well, we learned a bitter lesson from an earlier charter reform in L.A. in 1969, where a wonderful commission came up with a brilliant plan that even they published it as practically a book. It was all the best thinkers in the world, and it didn't have political support and got crushed at the polls twice. Yeah, it's a big lesson. And, and we, they had a big uh, file of papers that I went through to read about it. And what ran through my mind is that they spent a lot of time trying to come up with what was the best idea in kind of isolation. Right. And had no no serious political strategy. And in their own analysis, they later said, well, I guess we should have paid more attention to the political environment. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm we gonna... spent a lot of time thinking about that. And we, did we, lo- we lost yeah. one. I'm sure you did in L.A. We lost one ally and picked up another ally. And we wanted to keep the mayor close, even though he disagreed with a bunch of things in the end. He did like Riordan. He supported us strongly and it was pretty remarkable experience. That well, way. we wanted to keep labor, which is very strong in L.A., although weaker then than it is now, but still very strong. They were terrible. Weaker to, then or stronger then? They were weaker then. They're much stronger now, but they were still oh, wow. pretty. They are still pretty strong. Wow. This is really a labor town now, which it was kind of in the balance then. But they public, really public service labor, the public employees, and yeah. labor in general. But at, at that point, Reardon. This is kind of good politics. And Reardon was very was strong with the private sector unions like construction, yeah. but the public employees just hated him because he was a real he was pushing privatization of sanitation services and other. They were at kind of at war. Anything he supported, they didn't like. We didn't <laughs> think they would support the charter, but we worked very closely with them to show them that the charter was reasonable enough that they shouldn't oppose it very hard, and that's what happened. They kind of formally opposed it, but it, but I think that at the end of the day, they felt it was a pretty fair charter. Uh, as we're recording this, it is exactly two weeks to the day before we inaugurate a new mayor in the city of Chicago. And uh, let's assume that uh, the day after she is inaugurated, she calls each of you and asks for your advice on how to get into the charter business. Let's start with you, Eric. What are you? What advice would you give her? I would say there's two ways to go about this. Uh, she could ask the city council, assuming again, as we spoke earlier, that there's no prohibitions on this. You could you could ask the city council to pass a, a, a law that um, you know said there'll be a charter commission and here's how the members will be appointed. And there'll be a referendum at the end, or, you know, lay out all the details of the process and the appointments. You could do it that way. Or I guess you could ask um, the state government to do the same for you. Either way, I don't know the politics enough of Illinois to know which way I'd go. My tendency would go to the city because I always see it's a city matter. And the state, once you get state politics and upstate and suburbs in, you're going to, you know, I don't think it's as uh, um, well addressed in that fashion. Rafe, what would you tell her? I would say don't just make it a mayor's project. Um, 
And at the end of the day, if the mayor proposes it, people will assume it's a mayor's project, and what's the mayor going to get out of it? Make it a city project. Make it a civic project. Make it a project that can be a little bit above the level of the daily battles among all the power brokers in town in which everybody can have a voice and try to take the high ground at the start. This is almost almost an existential question. We were talking about voter approval, and of course, I'd, 140 public hearings is something to behold, and nothing I'd ever, I've ever seen or heard about in Chicago has been under that much public scrutiny, uh, especially from the city level. Um, what is the what is the importance of allowing the citizens of this municipality, whether it's you know New York or, or Los Angeles or Chicago, to let them vote? on their city's governing document? I mean, it's a democracy. And this is the structural framework for their um, how they're going to be governed. So I think there's both sort of theoretical support for that. And also, I think that, I mean, you could argue other things about it, but that's what I think. And secondly, if it's a political document and there's going to be, you know, I you, you want to have buy-in by people. You want to make them feel that they're part of the process. And thirdly, they have good ideas a lot of times, people. You think you know things, and all of a sudden a bunch of people are coming in at hearings because they're going to be voting, because they're interested. So it forces their engagement, and you can learn a lot from people. And I think it's we spent a lot of time teaching people about the difference between charter provisions and policy victories, and that if you try too hard to load up a charter with all of your favorite ideas, A, it won't be a good charter, because what's in the charter is hard to change. And we keep reminding people charters should be lean, they should be general, they should be – you should be able to think that you can carry on your, your battles in a better framework rather than winning all of your battles in the charter. Although you'll certainly win some, but it's not a place for pet ideas. I would share that view. Eric Lane and Rafe Sunshine, two men who have who've had incredible impact on the on the governance of their city and incredible, you know, impact on, on us in writing this book. So thank you very much for that work that you both conducted. Uh, on behalf of your cities and on behalf of us. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us.